Hello everyone, this is Airy in the Air, welcome back to the podcast, thanks for being here. Today, I want to share with you a very powerful conversation I had with my friend Matt Blank. Matt is a base jumper and a thinker. He's an extreme sports guru, motorcycles and wingsuits and skydiving and he's even a highlighter. But he's also a very deep thinker and he's such a people person. And this episode is mainly about suicide. It's about suicide and it's about communication. It's about how we talk to each other. It's how it's about the ways in which we talk to each other that drive us to suicide. Literally, which is a crazy fucking thing to say. And such a painful thing to say. I think most of us have probably known someone who has committed suicide, and the feelings that come up around that are so myriad, and they are so confusing. Suicide is so incredibly confusing, and I think the main point here is that we need to listen. When something is confusing, we need to listen. I think that's a deviation from our standard uh, operating protocol. We don't listen that well in general, and I think that's something we could learn to do a lot better. So, um, yeah, this episode is super heavy for me. It left me feeling really, really strange all day for about 24 hours after this conversation with Matt. I felt like very heavy and burdened. But I also felt very light. There was like something that was lifted off of me. But it was also that there was like tragedy. I had levity and tragedy on me after this conversation. And I think um, you'll hear that in my voice and in my tears here. So, um, yeah. So, if you like this show, consider supporting it by doing all the likey, sharey, subscribey stuff that helps me wrestle the algorithm. And also consider donating. That's paypal.me slash airy in the air. I really appreciate the donations. They come mostly from the people who are interviewed on this show, which is funny. But if you listen, maybe you could, maybe you could contribute too. Anywho, without further ado, thanks for being here. And I'll give you a little bit of music so that we can kind of reset our heads. And then we're going to dive into this conversation with Mr. Matt Blank. to have you back welcome back glad to be here okay so the other day 
you wrote something on your Facebook, which was, I think the last thing I've been off Facebook for a couple of weeks now, which is helping a lot, but you wrote something about suicide and how you might hold yourself in the midst of people who might want to take their own lives. And I think it's an incredibly salient conversation to be having right now because as so many of the psychologists who have come on this show have talked about, there is a tsunami of mental health that has preceded the coronavirus. Um, the meaning crisis has been happening for quite some time. And I think that we are... It sounds like what all these professionals are tuning into is that the physical manifestations of this are on the horizon, if not at the doorstep already. I think that the rate of suicide is, and depression is already going up and that coronavirus isolation, lockdown is already playing a really big role in these things. And so I thought that your, your post was was pretty provocative and disruptive and definitely made me like kind of made my head spin because I think the visceral response to someone saying, Hey, I want to kill myself is, Oh my God, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. And that wasn't what you wrote. So I'd love to hear like a synopsis of what you wrote and what the experiences that you've had behind that are, uh, especially as it pertains to base jumping. I know that the first time that you were on this show, we talked about this moment when you jump off of a cliff where you're both dead and alive. And, um, I think that there's also some kind of parallel that I can imagine between just wanting to base jump and like having, it's almost like a dual desire to both live and to die. And so I just love to hear your thoughts and, um, hear about what you wrote and yeah. Sure. Well, uh, let me begin by saying that I'm not in any way a certified counselor of this thing of suicide. I'm, I, I studied psychology and I've spent a lot of time in communities where uh, suicide was present or that, you know, in extreme communities where uh, people were doing something that would, uh, you know, lead to their demise uh, quite often. So, you know, let me just qualify myself there. Um, I'd say that the post that I made the, about the, you know, regarding the conversation that we were having with um, somebody that is suicidal, there are a couple of different aspects to it. Uh, the first aspect is just opening a conversation, you know, basically. Yeah. Like, how do you engage with somebody? And I think this is just a, a basic strategy that works across the board for any conversation. You got to meet somebody where they are. So mm-hmm. if somebody is in a, a headspace in which they want to commit suicide and you're in a headspace where suicide is unacceptable, well, you've, you've already failed in meeting them where they are. And so the mm-hmm. conversation has failed from the very beginning. Mm. And so when, uh, you know, I started that post of that like little, you know, back and forth, here's how a conversation might go with somebody that's suicidal. The first aspect of it was to meet them where they are. And instead of, you know, saying, oh, don't do this, don't do this, you know, okay, let me understand 
what you're saying to me and why and you know give you an opportunity to explain why you're calling me about this rather than uh impose my own wants and desires on a situation where they are completely unacceptable to be honest like yeah this is about the person that is committing suicide not about uh, my desire for this person to not do whatever he's planning to do or, or they are you know, planning to do. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the next aspect is, you know, a lot of people want to convince somebody not to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, that's inherently disenfranchising and disempowering. You know, somebody that has decided to make arguably the most extreme decision that a human being can make has probably already thought through it. And if they, even if they haven't, they're still willing to make a pretty extreme move. And so for you to come over the top of them immediately and say, don't do this, whatever you're doing is wrong is going to clash. Yeah. And rather than that, I think the better strategy, not only for, uh, them, but for anyone or desire that like somebody might have to uh, impose on the situation would be um, to how do I put this the best? Lost my train of thought for a second. It's going to take me a second to get back. Is that all right? Take your time. There's something that's pretty salient that comes up for me, though, in what you're talking about is... Go for it, yeah. It's like, there is this pattern that you're referring to, that is, when someone says their subjective experience, the standard response is to reject it, like defeat it, like tell the person why it's wrong, why they shouldn't feel that way and point them to different states of being. And in the conversation of suicide, you make such a strong point there that the likelihood that this person has felt what they're feeling for such a long time that they have gone through this in their heads over and over and over for you to then come as you say, over the top of them and try to reject their notions that they've felt for so long without taking the time to really, really understand. I think that, you know, what comes up for me is I'm like, wait, is the is that actually what is killing them? Like, I feel like that response is what's killing people in suicide is that we have trained ourselves out of being able to really empathize deeply with people and be deeply curious about their emotional states. And we've lost the communicative frameworks to create space for that person, for, for those feelings, for those emotions, for those thoughts. To the point that totally. the, you know, because as I do more research on, on suicide, one of the biggest Um, precursors to suicide or a suicide attempt is a feeling of isolation. It's not just depression, right? Depression with a bunch of people around is, is depression. But once you add 
the feeling of isolation socially and physically, then the chance of suicide goes way up. And I think that what you're talking about here is essentially a communication-based isolation where you would take the person's experience that they're sharing with you and you, you would reject it and try to reform it, repair it, or change it some other way. And essentially, you're just isolating that person's experience even further, which is likely the cause. Exactly. And you're invalidating everything that they're Mm -hmm. going through, Mm -hmm. right? By saying that their solution is also invalid and that their train of thought is invalid and that they should be on this road over here. And if they're not, then they're like not okay and in need of assistance and help beyond what you're able to give them. Absolutely. And I also just want to like, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that happens is if you succeed in that road and you are able to convince them, then you've also taken away their empowerment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things in your post was how, uh, what a exercise of freedom suicide actually is. Exactly. So, you know, my goal when I'm talking to somebody that is going to do something that I think is going to, you know, cost them their lives is for them to come to an, you know, an agreement and a decision uh, that might not, I can't make that choice for them. They've already established, they've already presented to me that they are willing to uh, make more of an extreme choice than any other human that, you know, is living. And in order for them to dig themselves out of that, um, the only way that I see is for them to make a decision to not do that. Uh-huh. Not for you so to like, convince them. Right. Cause how, how can I even, how can I like they've, mm-hmm. they've already gone to like a more extreme level than I can go unless I'm willing to make a decision personally to physically detain them and hold them down for the rest mm-hmm. of their lives. Uh-huh. They're eventually going to win. Yep. Right. And mm why would I even want to do that? What kind of existence is that? You know, I'm like basically feeding into like everything that somebody would uh, disagree with and hate that's in that situation. Yeah. This is why they're killing themselves. They've been treated like that their whole lives. Right. Exactly. So my goal is to validate that person so that we Mm. can enter a discussion and then present choices and options that, might not have been um, obvious to them. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, incredibly profound, Matt. I love your perspective here. That is uh, incredibly empathetic and mature. And the thing that I want to touch on here is I almost want to, like, it makes sense. It makes sense why people would do this. Like when you say, hey, I'm going to kill myself, that I would say, no, please don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. Like, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't feel this way. You got to like find some other way out of this. The, I, I've known a number of people who have killed themselves. And I think I remember the first one I was in maybe like 10th grade. And the kid, his name was Cody. And he was really, really nice. He was really sweet. And he had an older brother who was kind of a bully who was a lot tougher than he was. Cody was like kind of effeminate and I think that obviously poses a massive 
that opens a huge floodgate for immature bullying when you are in rural central Oregon high school. Um, but man, his suicide just fucking broke me with guilt, just with guilt, just all the ways that I like every opportunity that I just could imagine that I didn't befriend and treat him in a way that would have validated his existence. And I just felt so much guilt. And so the idea that having someone that you know kill themselves represents or, uh, you know, it paints you as a person that could have done more, that didn't do enough, or that maybe even created the problem is an incredibly powerful motivating emotion, right? This guilt that we didn't do enough, this guilt that if you killed yourself, that means that I was a shitty friend is like, this is such an incredibly powerful motivating emotion. And so to be able to be centered enough to begin with, to be able to be centered enough that you can, you can step aside and say, okay, what you're feeling, I'm not, I don't have to take that on. That's not me. You're not trying to kill yourself because I suck. Like, you know, this, it, it almost feels juvenile for me to say this kind of thing, but it's, it's so true that like we, our typical mode of communication is an assumption of guilt based on the other person's emotions. Like we internalize way too often the other person's emotions as if it reflects our own worth. Totally. Um, I'll also pick at one other thing. And I, I think this is where my opinion is going to start to diverge from like almost 99% of society. And that is that in order to engage in this conversation with this person, and this would also help with assuaging any guilt, we have to open at least a little space in which the person committing suicide could be right. Yeah. Because if they're wrong 100% of the time, 100% like of the incidents for whatever reasons they have, if they're wrong across the board, then I've failed to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. I failed to accept that like they might be, they might have a legitimate reason. And if I don't have mm-hmm. any open-mindedness for that, then all of my communication with them will be inherently driving them towards a conclusion that I've already made, yeah. which is inherently manipulative. Mm-hmm. It's not open-minded. It's not curious. It's, I'm trying to get them to, yeah, it's not compassionate. And people in that state will know the difference. Mm -hmm. No matter how much people disguise their communication, like if you don't have at least a little space in which the person trying to commit whatever act they're going to commit could be correct. Yeah. And I would add to that that they will do it. Right. Right. You can't go into the conversation with someone who's suicidal and pretend that it's okay and pretend, okay, yeah, why don't you tell me about this? Like with the, with the wholehearted notion in your head that you're going to perform in a certain way so that they will eventually not do it. There's got to be some space in your head that they are both justified and going to carry out the, the act. Yeah, and here's a basic way to 
to understand this. And this will also um, kind of touch on extreme sports and base jumping. Um, hang on, let me close this window. Okay, so here's a, a different way to frame it, um, which will also touch on kind of how I approach a conversation with somebody in base jumping or any other extreme sport where I think they might be doing something dangerous. They have an opinion of what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and what the result is. I might have a different opinion. I'm not going to try and convince them that I'm right. I'm going to ask them to teach me about their side of the story. Mm -hmm. Right? So like you want to commit suicide, let's imagine. I, at this moment, have no desire in committing suicide. That's a difference in, in opinion that I am extremely curious about. And I would be like, look, Ari, I want to know what you've concluded. What is your argument? Like, if I've got this wrong and you're right, please do tell, because that's a huge thing that I would I'd really like to know about. Mm -hmm. You know, if you've come to some realization in your life, if you've uh, seen something that I haven't seen, I want to know because if our opinions differ to this extreme degree, it might be important for me to know what you know before you go. So please, before you go, tell me everything that you know about this. Yeah. So it's less like me trying to impose anything that I know upon them, but it, it's, it, it is genuinely a, an authentic curiosity for mm -hmm. what they might have concluded and why and how. Mm -hmm. Like if you're making the most extreme choice that any human being could ever make, man, there's got to be some incredible knowledge behind that. And if not, like, okay, let me present my knowledge and let's see where, you know, they might differ and let's kick all these ideas around and see if, uh, one roads needs to be adjusted or not. Yeah. But in order to start that, I have to like start with the fact that you might be right. And if I start there, if I have that space, there's no guilt on the yeah. other end of it because yeah. I, I legitimately do believe that there are good reasons. And, and I'll say this society also believes that there are good reasons for suicide. Hmm. I'll give you several examples. Okay. Okay. So uh, in my current job, I'm a story analyst. And what I do is I look at storylines and I look at characters, motivations, archetypes, and traits. I track all of those through uh, feature films and television. There are an incredible amount of heroes in our society that are written uh, that commit suicide. Now, we might not deem them suicides, but they are actually suicides. They sacrifice themselves in order to save others. They willingly go into situations where in which they know they are going to die in order to save others or to serve the greater good. Mm -hmm. Now, while we might not see that as the same as somebody, you know, jumping off of a bridge because they're depressed and isolated, effectively, it's the same thing. 
it's somebody taking their own life. And if we can agree in one circumstance that there is a good reason for that, then we must also agree that there might be good reasons for like all of the rest of them. Now, like somebody self-sacrificing in order to save a group of, um, you know, school children from careening off a cliff is very obvious. Uh Now, understanding why the person jumping off a bridge is doing it might not be obvious to everybody, but could be very similar in their thought process. I've known several people who. Uh, have considered committing suicide because they felt that they are a burden on the people around them and society in general. Mm-hmm. And if they just erase themselves from society, then that burden ceases to exist. Mm-hmm. They don't impact the environment. They don't impact the people around them. And then, so like effectively, they are the exact same as the Marvel hero who sacrifices himself to mm-hmm. save his comrades. Wow. That's, do you think, I guess, uh, curiosity comes up for me there where do you think that we are through some of our mythologies that are in entertainment, actually curating the space where that misled sentiment would manifest as suicide uh are you saying do do i think like hollywood is creating um suicidal ideation essentially yeah and maybe it's misled maybe it's you know even if the intention of the hero is 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 good it can be mis led misunderstood misrepresented and then create that suicidal ideation that's hard to that's hard to that's hard to answer yeah it is because i don't think that the idea even stems from hollywood itself i mean this is like yeah i guess i guess more is it like an exacerbation is that something you see you know because you're a you kind of live in that world where you're looking through these storylines and you're really diving deep into the symbology, into the archetypes, into the things that they represent. I mean, it might give uh, more cover for somebody mm-hmm. who is on that train of thought mm-hmm. thinking, Oh, this is a heroic act. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that that's not, that's not Hollywood. That's, our society, our society agrees that that yes. is a heroic act. Yeah, and the myth, and, the myth goes so so much deeper and longer than Hollywood itself. Right, sacrificing oneself for the good of the many has been a theme since stories existed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess I'm curious as to what you know. There's such a wide range of sentiments that would drive people to have those kinds of ideations, to have those kinds of behaviors, to take their own life. And the sacrificing yourself for the good of the many, I feel like is 
that's a very thought provoking notion for me. What, how that, how that plays into suicide at large. So, but I also, you know, er, earlier I mentioned why I think it is that we don't want people to kill ourselves kill themselves around us, people we know, why there is such a huge emotional obstacle that we have to overcome for us to hold space for people, which in general, in any kind of intimate relating, I feel like is so true. Like we have to overcome our own guilt existence, our own internalization of their emotions, all of this stuff, like those are the obstacles to actually being authentically relating with someone that we're not trying to convince them, control them, create them. And the thing that you were talking about in base jumping, which this is, you know, this is why I love talking to you about this. I feel like you and I both have these experiences where we've you know, we've fucking been on the mountain when people died doing the sports that we love to do. And it's like, we don't want that for anyone. And so lately I've actually been ruminating on a lot, like the notion or the, the phenomenon of people being assholes or being like, um, maybe that's not the right thread. People being like, tough trying to like protect other people like hey you got to follow the rules or hey don't do that or you know like i think at the bottom of it like we actually know that seeing these kinds of things can be deeply traumatic for us like they're wounding for us like i'm still dealing with the freaking fatality from last year like in a really serious way and so i think that what you bring up is a really high level development where you would first of all, know your own vulnerability, your own fragility. That is to say you acknowledge your mortality, you acknowledge your emotional vulnerability, and you also acknowledge the impact that other people's accidents around you can have on your psyche, on your, um, on your life. Totally. But then what you do with that is up to you, right? Like, do you become mean and demeaning and like all rule based and, or do you actually like try to meet people where they are? Because, you know, I, like, I know a number of occasions between you and I that, you know, I can imagine you standing on the cliff and there's, people who don't have the experience that you do and want to do something dangerous, extra, extra dangerous, right? On top of, on top of base jumping and the ability to disseminate information, opinion, perspective, and potential outcome is fraught with obstacles like emotional and communicative obstacles. And so I think that the ability or the there's like there's a deep parallel here between you being able to say, hey, this is what you're, you know, you're saying you're planning on doing a triple gainer and, uh, you know, like a whatever. And maybe that's like, I would never do that right here, right now. Like, I would never do that. So why don't you 
tell me about that is like a deep parallel to I want to kill myself. And Matt says, well, I don't want to kill myself. So what do you know? What do you see that I'm not seeing? There's like a deep parallel there here between those two instances and they're fraught with emotional and communicative obstacles where you actually have to take yourself out of the way to be able to effectively be in those. Absolutely. And here's where I'll start. First of all, I have no right as a human being to tell somebody else how to live their life. Mm. Especially if it doesn't affect me or the people around me. But what I do have a duty to do personally, like this is how I feel like I have an ethical and moral obligation to do is to give somebody as much information as I have to make the most informed decision they can at the time that they're going to make it. Mm -hmm. So if I see you on a cliff edge and you're about to do something stupid, I don't have a right to say, you know, don't do that. And I wouldn't because, again, I think it's, it's disempowering and it doesn't, it's not going to be well received. But what I do have an ethical and moral obligation to do is ask them a question. And if that question isn't answered in the way that I think it should be, to give them information. Mm. Like you see somebody about to drop a line and you know that the snowpack is terrible and that they're probably going to you know, create an avalanche. Okay, rather than saying, like, don't do that, saying, like, hey, man, what do you know about the snowpack below? No, yeah. okay, you don't know that? Here's everything that I know about the snowpack. Here's everything that I know about what you're about to do. Here's everything I know about the consequences and the probabilities of what's going to happen next. Now, knowing all of that, are you telling me that the values that you're holding are still going to be served by you doing this thing, right? They say, okay, yes. I'm like, okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that your value for extreme behavior and getting this line is above your value for life. Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? You know, like framing the conversation in that way gives them more, more ability to make the right choice, you know, for them, not the right choice for total, like for society or for us or for whatever, but the right choice for them. And I would say that very seldom, if not ever, is the right choice in an extreme sports situation to wantonly put your life in unnecessary danger. Yeah. Like, we want to be extreme because it's, awesome and it's enjoyable and it's joyous and we want to do it again and again and again yeah right, so usually and this is just a usual if somebody's about to do something that's probably going to cost them their life they just haven't seen some piece of information that we have and it's as simple as pointing it out to them and then asking them like about what they're actually valuing and trying to get out of this that flips the script yeah, and I want to I want to add to this because I feel like in that instance that the person is at the top of the line that, that is likely going to trigger an avalanche that would lead to their 
likely being maimed or killed. I have found myself in this position as well, where even in base jumping, I find myself under the fucking advice of Miles Dasher to not do what I'm about to do, and I do it anyway, which is, in hindsight, insane. But I look back on those things and I think of, okay, like what, what was it? What part of me was unable to course correct in that moment? What part of me is unable to take the new information and to revise my, my plan? You know, and there were all kinds of social pressures and there was all kinds of different things happening. But I think that we are in the midst of this cycle of arrogance, a cycle of communication that breeds an uh, egoic stubbornness. Um, and I know this because I see it in myself. I see it in my father and his father, and I see it in my friends and their fathers and their fathers. And since this whole coronavirus thing, I've basically like felt that I don't have room in my life right now for relationships that are not therapeutic. I don't want to relate with people who want to wear a thick mask and they want me to wear a thick mask too. That is to say, I don't want to pretend I want to be vulnerable and authentic and I want the people around me to do the same. And what I want to point out here is that the idea that we are rational when we stand on top of the line and we are rational when we stand on top of the cliff and we're trying to suss out all of the different uh, factors. You know, Jeff Shapiro makes a solid point all the time is that these sports that we're doing, we do them for an emotional response. We do not do them rationally. We're looking for an emotional response here. So there is so much emotion tied up into our decision-making. And I think that the instance of whether or not you're going to take new information to course correct before you do something that's egregiously irresponsible or whether or not you can course correct by having someone hold a really profound space for your subjective experience while you can while you consider suicide i think those two things are deeply intertwined i feel like that's a, a parallel you know like absolutely and i think that what you said earlier is so salient in that is that you before you enter it before you even talk to that person who's suicidal or before you talk to the person on top of the line, there needs to be an acknowledgement that both they might be right and even if they're totally wrong, that they're going to do it. And, and I think that without that acknowledgement, it leads us to become fervent and crazy and mean and this is the this is the you know the cliff demeanor the base jumping demeanor or the paragliding demeanor that that i was kind of referring to this is like a it comes from a place where we don't want to see each other 
get hurt, have accidents, those kinds of things, but it's misdirected because it's not fully acknowledging and humble and considerate of everyone's or the person's subjective experience. Right. So like in extreme sports, the goal is the same. The strategy just changes. All right. If the goal is to get somebody to enjoy the sport for a longer period of time and not face as many negative consequences, one strategy is to just curtail them into doing what you want them to do, which I would say is less sustainable long term mm-hmm. and probably less probable to be heard in that moment. Mm-hmm. Another strategy, and one that probably gets more flack from the people around them, is to accept what they're doing and then try and get them to see more information to make a more informed decision. And in order to do that, I think you touched on a really good point. This, all of these decisions are very emotional. And if we're not speaking the right emotional language, mm-hmm. we're inherently untrustworthy. Yeah. And if we're not trustworthy, then none of our words make any difference at all. So like if you're on the edge of a cliff doing a base jump and your language right now is manic and mine is uh, peaceful, those might clash in a way that we're not going to hear each other. Yeah. You know, if you say, dude, I want to get the most epic shot of this thing ever and this is how I'm going to do it. You know, and I come in and go like, whoa, bro, okay, look, like the shot's not important. What's important is the jump. Like, I've already lost you. Yeah. But if I come in and say, okay, dude, yes, most epic shot, here's how we're going to do it. In fact, if you make a change right here and you do this, and I just come over here and do this, we're going to get an even more epic shot than you've ever imagined that you're not even setting up right now, and we're both going to be able to do it 100% of the time over and over again. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? You know, it's, it's the same basic thing of like, we just need some adjustment here. Mm-hmm. But in one, I'm trying to adjust you away from what you want. And the other one, I'm trying to adjust you into what both of us want. Uh-huh. I feel like it's the difference between like martial arts where you use your opponent's energy like you work with their energy versus some kind of like boxing where you're really trying to like stop their energy and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cooperative versus competitive. Yeah. If somebody's speaking depression and you're not speaking that language, they're already at odds with you. They're not going to accept what you're saying. They're not going to accept you in. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's even, it's still, like we said, it's isolating. Like, like if I'm depressed and you're not depressed and you're trying to convince me out of my depression, I'm like, dude, you just don't understand. Yeah. Because you don't. So why would I listen to you? Yeah. Because you don't. Like I can see it on your face and your yeah. actions. Yeah. Like I can see this is all about something else that has nothing to do with the train of thought that I'm on. So I like, kindly continue down your track and allow me to continue down mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, this is all, you know, the, as we talk about this, the parallels just pop up. That's like, I feel like the deep thread here that runs through the fabric of society 
is the way in which we communicate with each other. How we posture, we so often posture as opposed to like be present in a conversation, in a hearing how someone is feeling. It's so often posturing and it's so rarely authentic and it's so rarely centered, you know? And it's not, I don't say this, I don't say this like looking externally. Like I say this internally. Like I say this, you know, how often I hear my partner, how often I hear my partner's woes as if they're about me versus hearing them with just complete centeredness and openness and curiosity. You know, the metacrisis is between my ears, which is a painful realization, but I feel like, or I guess the thread that I'm like want to pull here is that this is like cyclical, that both the way we communicate with one another and disregard each other's subjective experiences and posture as if we know the best way and all of this stuff like leads to suicide. And then at the moment that it's like, the person's like, hey, I want to kill myself. Then we take the, the dynamic that created the problem and we try to fix it with the same dynamic, which obviously is not going to work. Yeah. The gambit that I proposed in that Facebook post was real. That actually happened. Hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it was a friend of mine there husband was going to commit suicide and she in that moment and she is a trained psychologist uh, and counselor in that moment disregarded most of her training to play this gambit because it was the only thing that she could possibly think might work you know like you're gonna get commit suicide okay let me come with you Mm -hmm. i accept what you're doing but please, just let me come with you. If this is going to be the ultimate decision that you're making, let's make it together. And at least you're going to have somebody by your side. I'm not going to try and convince you out of it. I'm just trying to, going to try and understand you. And ultimately, that story ends with them hugging. You know, they end up on the bridge. They end up talking about all of it. And the person that's committing suicide decides that it's not the right decision for them and they step back over. Wow. So if somebody's already at the edge, again, like the, the point is to be able to go to the edge with them. Because mm-hmm. if, if they're on the edge and you're screaming at them from a safe location a hundred yards back, I mean they're they're not going to hear you. And you're guaranteeing their further isolation as they're on the edge by themselves now. Exactly. So it's like, dude, if I'm going to be on the edge and like, I'm going to take somebody that's willing to go to the edge with me. Now we can't go over the edge together, obviously, but at the very least to go here would be nice. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think base jumping is radical because we've got the opportunity to go over the edge and come back. And so like when I talk to somebody that um, is about to do something that might risk their life, I I do have like (laughs) this, 
this unbelievable gift that base jumping has given me to be like, dude, I've been there. Yeah. Okay. Ask me some questions, man. Like I've been exactly where you are standing exactly where you are. I've gone past that point. If it's, if it's a matter like this decision cannot be taken back. So please let me give you every possible piece of information I can. And that's an altogether different conversation than somebody telling them, dude, I don't want to go there. I don't want you to go there. I don't want anyone to go there. I don't think going there is even something that is uh, righteous or, you know, I'm going to try and convince you in every way possible to guilt, shame, and blame you for this decision because like, I don't even want to conceive that it is uh, possible for somebody to do it. Nearly a million people kill themselves every year. And I... I just feel so deeply the collective suffering that makes that statistic a reality. The collective... You know, this, this dynamic that we have outlined today, this dynamic of communication, this dynamic of not being able to hold space for one another, not being able to empathize, not being able to give credence to other people's opinions, decisions. To think of that dynamic happening so profoundly, so many times across the planet, just brings me to tears. The, and I mean, shit, man, the nearly a million people who succeed in it are dwarfed by the amount of people who find themselves in this communicative dynamic, have suicidal ideations, have depression, have breakdown of their relationships, have mental health issues that manifest in absolutely myriad ways yeah i think we just need to start seeing it differently as a society in total and 
if you if you'll let me, I'll I'll start back at the very beginning of this. None of us chose to be here. Mm-hmm. We were asked to be here. We just ended up on this planet existing. That's incredible. To be forced into existence without a choice, a conscious one, has to be one of the most jarring and confusing mm-hmm. things that anyone can possibly reconcile. And so I believe that a lot of people go through life trying to reconcile the fact that they were not, you know, they were just asked to be here and they don't have an empowered and free life because of that. It's like we're enslaved to existence. Exactly. And now the person that goes to the edge that has proven to themselves that they can end their life and then chooses not to has thus proven to themselves that they have made a choice to exist. Mm. They are now back in control of their life. Everything is possible. And so I have like great respect for people uh, that go to that edge. And I also have great respect for anyone who considers it because they are on the path to empowering themselves to be a free human. You're no longer a victim if you chose to be here and could choose not to be here. Mm -hmm. You wake up every day. Something happens to you that is going to suck. It happens to every one of us. Now, you can either choose to see that as, oh, woe is me, the sky is falling, or you could see the opportunity that it presents in order to overcome that thing. And at the end of the day, that comes down to a binary decision of, do I want to be here or do I not? And if I haven't chosen to be here, then yes, the sky is falling down around me and this sucks and I'm being forced to be in this crappy existence. But if I've chosen and choose every day to be here and exist, then all of the things that happen to me that are negative are totally circumstantial. Who cares? Great. Give me all of those challenges. Give me all of those negative aspects. I still choose this thing. I feel like we, you know, as you say that, it's like we're never taught that we actually have a choice because at the end of the day, we do. Like, I can't remember the author, but I read this quote within the last month that was the only serious decision is whether or not to kill yourself. Like that's the only serious, that's like the, the deepest question. And I feel like that's a dark, it's a really dark, really scary, really painful reality. And as a society, we tend to block it from our view. We block it from our view. We block it from our conversation. Uh, we have such a visceral response to the, 
to hearing that people think that or want to do that or have done that. And I love this idea that when you ruminate on that, even momentarily that, Hey, like, you know, this sucks, but at the end of the day, I, I do have the power to kill myself. It is a decision. It is a decision to, to brave your existence, not to be enslaved by it. Right. And that's where I think the magic happens mm. when somebody's uh, taking practical steps towards suicide. And that's why I'm drawn to running towards that person to just point that one thing out. That's mm. it. Right at the end of the day, right before they decide, like, yo, man, you've, you're making a choice here. You've got an incredible choice to make. Yeah. You've now proven to yourself that you can go over the edge which means that you have your life back yeah no shit. you're not you're not here by uh by accident anymore yeah. you're here by choice yep now whatever you do next with that is totally up to you but i will say that life looks much different when you've chosen to be here So if I can convince you to stay here for one more second, one more minute, five more minutes, everything that you were looking at previous to this that drew you to this edge right here might look completely different. Yeah. Yeah, you go to the edge so encumbered, so chained, so shackled, but you can set them down there at the edge and nowhere else. You can only put them down at the edge. You can only put them down once you actually have recognized the entire picture that you have and then making that decision to live is actually to drop the baggage. It is to take off the burden. It is to release yourself from the shackles and then walk back into life as a voluntary actor. Right. Mm, That's a beautiful thing, Matt. That's a beautiful thing. This has been an incredibly profound conversation. That's an incredibly profound realization. I can't, and like my mind is reeling over that, the decision to become a voluntary actor instead of enslaved by existence. Um, in Stoicism, one of the pillars of Stoicism is memento mori, which is to meditate on your own mortality. It is a daily exercise in the practices of Stoics to meditate on your own mortality that you will die. And I think this conversation takes that almost one step further that you are an empowered agent in deciding if that is today or not. Absolutely. I think it's a powerful, powerful thing. Hmm. I like ruminating on things of this nature. I think they are absolutely healthy to mm-hmm. get to some of these realizations. Yeah. I think there is a, an issue in our society where we take things to practical steps too quickly. 
Uh-huh. And I'll yeah. explain. We've got yeah. stage one through three ideas. A stage one idea is a concept. It's uh, you know an idea that's high in the sky, shoot for the moon. I want to change the world. A stage two idea is that idea scaled to something that can actually be accomplished by a person in a lifetime. A stage three idea is that idea then turned into logical and um, practical steps. Practical steps, exactly. And I find that people are one of these thinkers. Uh, you know, you're a stage one thinker, you're a stage two thinker, you're a stage three thinker. And this is why companies usually have different, you know, departments for this. They have a creative department, then they have you know, a business department, then they have a logistics department. Mm-hmm. And you have to, like, scale the idea through <laughs> and talk to all the different departments before it actually comes to fruition. Because if you've just got stage one thing at your company, my God, you're going to have a bunch of great ideas. Nothing's yep. ever going to get that. Yep. Yeah. You have a bunch of stage three people. Wow. Like you're going to ship a ton of units, but the units are going to be useless to everybody because <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't take into account what people actually need. Yeah. So when we're contemplating our non-existence, I think it's healthy for people to stage one this idea a lot. It, it's a really cool concept to kick around and can uh, give rise to a lot of interesting philosophy and practical steps that one might want to take within their lifetime. Once you move it to a stage three idea, like, hey, let's talk to a stage two person first because there might be some ways in order to scale that idea and have it be repeatable. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you come to the point where it's beyond a concept for you, you want to commit suicide, you want to experience your non-existence, and now you've gone from stage one to stage three, I'm going to a bridge. A stage two person might say, hey man, if you want to jump off that bridge, why don't you take this parachute with you? <laughs> In the case that you jump off the bridge and you still want to commit suicide, you have the option to not pull that parachute. If you jump off the bridge and you decide that this isn't for you, you have the option to pull that parachute. And you can make that decision again tomorrow. Tomorrow. You can make it as many times as you want. In fact, you could say, hey, you're trying to commit suicide off of this particular space. Is that the space that you really want your like, life to end? This is your life. This is the last decision you're going to make. No? Okay, put this parachute on. Let's go around the world and let's try and find every single place that you could potentially commit suicide. And along the way, we're going to see some beautiful crap, man. It's going to be epic. <laughs> and, and at the end of that journey, if you still want to commit suicide, you'll have the perfect place, I promise. Yeah. It's a really sick way to get suicidal people into base jumping. We've already got a bunch of them, you know. <laughs> what's, what's a couple more? Whoa, man.
I've, a lot of people, I think, put down the gun and pick up the parachute because it's one step closer, but not as yep. finite, you know, not as final. Yep, I've seen it. I've seen that in base jumping. I've seen it's it less in paragliding, but I've seen it a lot in base jumping, especially out there in the desert in Utah. I interacted with a number of those people who during the day were great base jumpers. And then by the time the party came around, they took a bunch of drugs. It was really, really dark. And, you know, I there were a couple times where I stood in horror after trying to keep people away from the giant fire and, you know, like seeing a suicidal ideation in those people who I'd seen so perfectly execute base jumps earlier that day. Yeah. When we start partying with them, we really see where they're coming from. You can see like the existential nihilism, Mm -hmm. the internal self-loathing, all of Mm -hmm. this stuff come to the, come to the surface. Yeah. And it's all acceptable in base jumping. You know, it's the most extreme. Well, I, I'm going to say it. It's the most extreme sport. Yeah, it is. Uh, so we accept all extremes. And so that's the community. Yeah. Going back to the bridge thing, just for a second, I think it's also interesting to uh, talk to people who uh, have attempted suicide and changed their mind. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of people that do that. In fact, if you watch the documentary, The Bridge, of the people that survived that, you know, they talk at length about how as soon as they left the bridge, they knew it was not for them, wasn't the right decision. Hmm. And so base jumping like affords people that opportunity to experience that just a slight backup plan yeah or at least like somatically experience that feeling of like surrendering and and like making taking that leap yeah like at the end of the day i think a lot of it has to do with taking control and ownership of one's life again yeah. And if I can't control the things that are happening around me, I can't control coronavirus. I can't control that I'm being uh, oppressed by the authorities. I can't control, you know, X, Y, and Z and on and on. Well, you know what I can control is whether I'm here or not. Yeah. That's one thing that nobody has any right to tell me anything about I am in complete 100% control. Yeah. And it seems that we ought give more credence to that decision, that we shouldn't shy away from the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Man, this has been really profound conversation matt i so appreciate your perspective i love you so much man dude i love you man and honestly i am absolutely incredibly grateful that you entered the conversation with me about this because it's something i've been thinking about for years and i think far too few people talk about it and tackle the subject yep well i think that 
there's a scary reality that I think that this is going to come into more of our lives than we are prepared for. There's this, this is going to come into more of our lives than we are expecting. You know, just as in the last four months, I felt my own need to manage my mental health in ways that I've never had to manage. I think that we are in a, we are going to be squeezed. We are going to be bottlenecked into holding space for the people around us as they traverse what can be the darkest moments of their lives. And I think that this conversation has really helped me develop a bit more perspective onto how at least like the stage one idea of like, how do I want to show up in the world in this kind of conversation with someone who needs me? How do I want to show up in this conversation with myself? And so I think it's really important. I think this is, this is really important, super um, relevant right now. And I mean, all the professionals who have come on this show and speculated the wave of suicide, the wave of mental health that they've been tracking for the last decade. I think um, it's time that we all get involved here and we really put our perspectives to the test to see if we're cut out to hold space for the people who need us. Absolutely. So, hell yeah, man. Thanks so much. I'm going to stop the recording, but hang out for a second, all right? All right. Okay, you guys, that was a big, heavy one for me. So if you like this show, consider donating. That's paypal.me slash air in the air. really appreciate that. And I'm just going to let this one soak for a while, all right? really appreciate Matt and all of his thoughts and his perspective. It's a very beautiful thing. He's an amazing person, and I appreciate his friendship so much. So thanks for being here. You guys stay healthy, stay sane, stay safe. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.